Welcome to Hunting Influence, a podcast by Influence Hunter. We share stories from those that have it and those that leverage it to help you develop what we believe could be the most important skill in business right now, influence. I'm your host, Aaron Kostinets. So I'm here today with entrepreneur Sammy Cabrosley. Sammy is a former radio personality and chef turned entrepreneur. He is the founder and chief snack bagger of Snacklands, which started as a little small fun challenge between friends to make a healthy, crunchy snack. They produce a low-calorie, grain-free scoop shaped crisp unlike any other snack food available. In 2019, they aired on Shark Tank and secured a deal with Mark Cuban, and since then they have grown all over the country. Uh, Thank you for joining me today, Sammy. What's up? What's up, man? How are you? Um, I'm doing well. I'm excited to learn more about your adventure here with Snacklands. I'm glad to talk snacks because between you and me, we both know that I'm not that good with audio. So, <laughs> well, you're doing we just had technical difficulties beforehand. It's fine now. We're good. No, we're we're past that. We've moved on to bigger and yeah. better things. <laughs> so, I'm excited to learn, um, you know, about your journey, and I want you to take me back. Uh, right to the beginning. Uh, so how did you get started on your entrepreneurial journey? Was there anything you liked to do as a kid that was kind of your first entry into uh, becoming an entrepreneur? So I don't really know if there's anything per se that was like made me want to be an entrepreneur. Um, both my parents per se are entrepreneurs. Like my father, you know, owns a convenience store, et cetera. You know what I mean? When he moved to this country. Um, you know, my mother worked in food processing. And so I think seeing what they did on an everyday life it as most kids you don't want to do that but unknowingly i also learned a lot about it just by being with them you know what i mean so it's almost like even though i wasn't paying attention i was subconsciously just learning everything and so you know once that bar bet you know that that turned into a snack and really started to move forward i think that a lot of people are like oh well sammy that makes sense that you're an entrepreneur look at your father you know he was an entrepreneur look at your mother she worked in you know, in food manufacturing, that makes sense that you'd be a food manufacturing entrepreneur, but it, it wasn't what I set out to be. You know, like you said, I, I worked in radio in D.C. forever. Like, I thought I was going to be, you know, an old guy with a ponytail, you know, talking about classic rock at some point in my life. But, you know, this opportunity came, and and like you mentioned before, and it's a bar bet, and you can definitely talk about that because it's definitely pretty funny. But, yeah, it was just a joke that got really out of hand, and, you know, I'm just happy, I'm privileged, and I'm honored to, you know, be along for the ride. Like Snacklands, it's much bigger than than me, the entrepreneur now, and I think that's pretty cool. And I'm, you know, I'm very humbled by that experience. Yeah, I definitely want to get to the barbet and kind of the creation of this. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about kind of the radio show you had and what you were doing beforehand? Because it's quite a quite a career change. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, so you want to talk about career changes? I was going to a college in D.C. Uh, my parents are from North Africa, from Tunisia, so I speak Arabic and French. Okay. Um, and because of that, clearly I was like, you should study international politics. And I got into school in DC. So obviously that's what I studied. Um, I did not like it um, at all. And so I ended up getting this random internship at a, at a radio station. And from there, it just blossomed into, you know, right place, right time. The morning show all got fired, but I was just this sweet unpaid intern that they wanted to keep around. So I stuck around for a couple more months, and then finally they go, hey, man, how much do you get paid at your current job? What are you looking for in a salary? And at that point, I was, like, serving pizza. So I was like, dude, 
if I can make anything over like two twenty five an hour plus tips, I would be stoked about that. And they were like, Oh my God, we'll hire this kid. And I think like my first year I got paid like, I mean, it sounds kind of criminal, but it was like $15,000 or $20,000, something like that, you know, but it, at the time it was like a lot of money. And I think myself sound old, I'm not really, you know, but it was man from going like, and to have this sweet job that I was going to college during the day and I was doing this radio morning show, you know, in the morning, like that was crazy. Like my life, changed 180 because i was just this normal college kid at the frat party so all of a sudden like do you, do you know that's like sammy k from the radio station and that's what was bizarre to me and so i you know i rode that ride i was privileged to be part of this awesome show in the dc area called the Kane show um you know i was it, that show really helped me skyrocket myself more or less into a position in dc that because i had become successful in radio oddly enough it almost let people um and it was successful through like affiliation you know i i wasn't good at radio i just think that i happened in the right place at the right time and i fit the and i fit the holes they needed a plug um but you know i think it just developed this thing in dc where people knew my name they knew at least who i was and so i think it actually made it even crazier when all of a sudden i told everyone that i was leaving radio and that you know, I was actually going to focus on this side thing I'd been doing, which was making these vegan pork rinds, and then I thought this was going to be big. Like, people thought it was crazy, but the, the nice thing about having all those people think you're crazy is that they knew who I was, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, like, even though they thought it was crazy, at least they knew who I was. And so the marketing, especially at those beginning steps, like, that that kind of took care of itself, you know? And and it was it was, it was, I was lucky. You know, I'll say it right now, like I was very lucky to kind of have that going in because I was given almost an extra step forward in that discovery process, especially when you're such a new young brand. Like we didn't have we weren't some new young brand that was being started by some multimillionaire who had prior successful brands. Like it was me in a bar making a bet with my buddy that I can make a vegan pork rind. And then we started selling at this brewery just to get free beer, pretty much like we weren't even making any money. Like we were losing money. But we were getting free beer, so it evened out. And then, like, a local grocery store, Glen's Garden Market, reached out to us. It's like, yo, these are awesome. If you guys actually put, like, nutrition facts on it and tried to make this into a real product, we think you could do well. And so, you know, that's how it started was this kind of vegan pork rind that was local that sounded crazy coming from this ex-radio DJ that people knew in the city, you know. And then my partner at the time, you know, he was a, a barbecue chef who was known for making some vegan things. And so it was just, like, the synergy just kind of worked worked well to really get that that nice little flame started in the dc area you know to grow us from from you know from my basement and selling to my friends to actually selling in stores and getting a regular order even though it was like eight stores like still like that like that first store glenn's garden market and that led to a couple other stores and then another store and the next thing you know like holy crap guys this could be real if i actually you know put some effort into it and that's when i decided that hey man as much as i want to be that old dude playing you know leonard skinner with a ponytail in like you know wisconsin no offense to wisconsin love wisconsin by the way i'm from iowa i guess it was the right i i, I lived in um, wisconsin for a year but i'm, I'm not often yeah it's great dude if you ever want to go to a great halloween party madison baby oh yeah no joke best one in the nation <laughs> but anyways so like i like even though i knew that you know even though i kind of had fallen into the notion that that was going to be my future I realized that man, I don't know. I'm I'm still young. Like you know, I was not. I was 
pretty. I was barely 30. You know, I think I was like 29 maybe actually. And I was just like, shit, I can do this. And so I just kind of made that transition over and decided to try it. I remember when we hired our first employee, Sylvia, uh, I ended up having to like serve tables. Like I was serving tables just because I knew that I could make enough money that I could pay her to do the job and then still have like three bucks, you know, left over after every hour. Right. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, I've got enough to buy myself some food. I work at a restaurant, so they're going to give me some leftovers anyways. This will get me cigarettes and, you know, gas for the weekend. Okay, good. Here you go, Sylvia. Let's make some snacks. You know what I mean? And it was just kind of that, that mentality that at that, I guess at that time, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really think anything of it. Like, I don't really think anything too crazy. It was just like, oh, yeah, well, I, I needed money, and I had this serving job, and I could easily get money from serving tables. So, boom, X, you know, plus Y equals Z. So I want to get back to your decision to kind of quit radio. So where was that kind of inflection point when, you know, this was more than just a, a snack that you were making for your friends? Um, you mentioned the bet that you had with your friend. I want, I want to hear more about how, what exactly that looked like. Uh, how big did you have to yeah. get uh, to really quit? Um, and is it something you actually thought when you made it or did it just become bigger than itself uh, all of a sudden? Dude, I don't believe in signs, but a lot of people are going to hear the story and they're going to believe in signs. Okay. <laughs> so I was working for a different radio morning show at the time called Sarah Ty and Mel on like the competing pop station. Um, but they had decided they were going to switch that station kind of like to oldies music, I guess. And so, so we all knew that we were getting fired sooner or later. And I kind of had this, like, that was, like, literally, like, we're still in the free beer stage of Snacklands, right? So this is right. It was just like, oh, I made them for some of my friends. They thought they were great. We were giving them out at the breweries or some of the breweries to get some free beer. And I think we were working on, like, getting, like, nutritional facts and, like, really getting everything together. And that was the morning that I got fired. And, like, they didn't owe me a severance because I didn't have a contract with them because I was just, like, I just switched over and I was like in between and dude, they were super nice and they gave me like three grand, I think. And they were like, Hey man, thanks for working for us. Sorry. We got to fire your ass. Um, but here's three grand. And I like kind of looked at that and I was like, Holy crap, this is a great reason for me to put some money behind sections. Like that's when I paid the nutritional facts, like to get like all that done to get, you know, the, the, the UPCs to buy the first bags, to buy the mushroom, the onions, the yucca I needed, like to get the, that first real batch going. Um, and then, you know, at that point I was kind of in between gigs and I was working for a friend's podcast, just like helping her co-host and doing her thing. Shout out to the Sarah Fraser show. It's great. You should check it out. Um, and I was helping her do that show. Like when she first started off that show and, you know, I think there was kind of came a point that, you know, I wasn't really into it anymore. Like I was running to do that as fast as possible. And then I was running back home as quickly as possible just because I had snack and stuff to do. And it kind of just, you know, evolved until finally one day I was like, yo, this this is supposed to be my full-time gig and it's not. I treat it like it's my part-time. Like, I should just leave this. And that was kind of how it did. So it was more like, it was a slow roll, but people always look at like, dude, but that makes so much sense, man. You got fired like within weeks if you started this company. So you had $3,000. Like, when have you ever just had $3,000 randomly? And I was like, dude, never. I, uh, I don't believe in savings. Um, and so like, you know what I mean? Like it was stuff like that. That was like, Oh man, like that's crazy. Uh, but you know, fast forward, it ended up, it was kind of a slow roll to get to where we are today, you know, and that bar bet was literally just, I had been working at a bunch of different restaurants part time because, you know, I was hustling. I was 
making money in the morning on the podcast, making money at night, serving tables, cooking in kitchens. Like I worked at everything from, you know, Michelin guide restaurants to like dive bars to like bakeries. Right. And I just enjoyed it. It was always just like this fun thing. And I was like, shit, you're telling me if I can make 20, you know, if I can work 20 hours a week somewhere just for fun, like awesome. That's like two solid, especially like at a bakery. That's like around a kitchen. That's only two days guys. You know what I mean? Like, and you're still leaving, you're still getting there after and leave before most people, right? When you're working a 10 hour exactly. shift. And so it ended up being this kind of like fun hobby. And I got this reputation for making some weird stuff and for always experimenting and taking it into the restaurants that I worked at and like letting people try. And and so that's when I was out there, you know, hanging out with my buddy who had to be the co-founder. We were just talking about, hey man, wouldn't it be hilarious if we did like all these vegan options? Cause he was like selling vegan shrimp vegan fried chicken and vegan ribs. And I was like, yo dude, like this sounds crazy, but like I've kind of been, been working on these flavored pork rinds in which like the pork rind isn't really like the pork in it, but the pork isn't what's giving it that, that puff, you know, like I could easily just get rid of the pork. And he was like, dude, really? And like, I went back and, you know, it took me probably like another three to six months of just messing around to kind of get that ratio, right. You know, testing out a bunch of stuff. And then, Finally, I remember walking into the restaurant. He was like doing paperwork upstairs. And I just like cracked one, put it in the deep fryer, and it immediately just like boom, puffed up into that delicious snack that I just remember like screaming so loud that they ran downstairs. And they're like, What's wrong? Did you mess up? Like, what'd you do to the fryer? And I dropped another one in, and everyone was like, Holy crap, dude. And uh, I remember there was like me, that one guy, and then there was like this other guy who who worked there from, he was just like a server who was just hanging out, like they're doing like restaurant prep. And I remember like he refused to try it because he's like, yo, this looks weird as shit. Like this is a vegan pork rind, like no way. And I just remember like that was kind of that first moment in my head, like thinking, okay, this is really cool, but it's already scared one person out of the room, you know? And so, yeah, we kind of launched that vegan pork rind as a bar bet joke. But really, you know, as we started selling them in stores, like I remember even the stores coming to the same like, you know, you guys are doing pretty well, you know, very well, comparatively speaking for like local brands and what, you know, and what you guys sell. And we're like, really? They're like, yeah. And then we started to talk to the customers. And I think that's where, you know, the important thing is that people don't realize we just started literally talking to the people that were buying it, all 10 of them, you know, and saying, hey, guys, why are you buying this? And the, the 10 people or whatever that were buying it, because they were so small at the time, we're just like, Oh, well, it's because it's got really simple ingredients. The vegan pork rind thing kind of weirds me out, but like the ingredients are super simple and it's just like crunchy and salty and I like it. And we're like, holy crap, I think this is what we are. We're a crunchy, salty snack. Like, you know, and I start going into it and really that airy, crunchy, you know, puffy texture, like that doesn't usually come from something that doesn't have grain in it, right? Or pig skin, right? And especially like that chicharron, like that airiness from chicharron is only from a pork skin. Like you're not gonna get that from anything else. And so the fact that we kind of had hit that awesome textural component with, you know, that salty, savory flavor, you know, we, we had set out to make something really, really delicious. And it just incidentally happened to be healthy because the ingredients we had on hand were fresh mushrooms, onions, and yucca, you know what I mean? And so kind of moving forward, it's almost like, yeah, like we were lucky in that sense, but you know, we definitely did purposely plan to evolve and i think that you know we still evolve to this day you know whether it's a pack changes whether it's a new flavor iterations i mean we've replaced this one flavor it was originally soy ginger 
and it went to miso ginger and it went to teriyaki and in all reality is like all three are a pretty similar flavor profile but it was us really honing in on what the audience wanted like why was this flavor trailing behind the other ones but yet was so popular we found out well people were afraid of the soy let's say or they were afraid of this you know or they didn't want and we're like ah okay and so we started to kind of dig into that you know and and really figure that out and figure out what our customers wanted, you know. So now it's a delicious teriyaki flavor, you know, and people enjoy that a lot. And what was that looking like when, like, when you guys first started out selling? Like, were you just going over to like local convenience stores and saying, "Hey, will you try out my snack?" Or what did that kind of process? I, did, I was, I had a backpack full of snacks at all times. I was showing up to like food shows and just like getting myself a pass into the food show just so I could walk around eyeball people's badges and all of a sudden be like oh crap giant oh snap Safeway oh man Walmart Whole Foods you know and I just like go up to them and give them snacks uh, but down the local front like yeah like, like I was just straight up going into these stores and saying hey man what do and it, a lot of it was as opposed to me going in and saying hey here's what I have because we all know that a local brand right you guys don't have machines yet you're hand making all this stuff you don't have any of the efficiencies that you know that you develop as you get bigger uh, and as you grow and as you scale but that doesn't mean that you have to forget about what these grocery stores are trying to accomplish which is sell product quickly and make money off of it right and so we kind of went so it was like you know we, we found like a couple of really good grocery stores that were in our neighborhood that you know we liked that were in the dc area that were small like glens garden market i mentioned the union kitchen grocery stores um yes organic and like mom's organic right and we like reached out to them and we were just like, hey, we want to go to this. Moms were a little bit too small for them. But the other ones were like, hey, yeah, here's what we're looking for on shelf. Yeah, so straight up, like, you guys want to compete. We can't sell your product for more than X dollar dollars. So we need to buy it for this much money. And then I could go back and realize, oh, crap. Here's what I got to figure it out. And honestly, when you're starting off, yes, healthy margins are in the 50s, 60s, 70s, right? So when you're starting off, like, it's fine if you're running like a 20. It's fine if, you know, to get a good account, you're losing a, you're losing just a slight little bit for a couple of weeks just because you know that's gonna, you know, like people have to look at it like that, like you're, it's, you know, people don't look at it like it's marketing dollars. Like I looked at that, that first kind of chain of stores and said, yo, this is marketing money being spent here. If they take me and I can prove good turn rates with good data that backs it up, you know, in multiple locations throughout the city, there's no reason that a Whole Foods wouldn't want to take us. And guess what? It worked. Hate to break it to y'all, but it worked. And the second that I went and I met with Whole Foods, they go, well, do you have any data? And when I only have a mom and pop store, you know, that's like a convenient or a local bodega, we don't care about that. But I had like a small regional grocery chain that had six stores that were carrying the product. They go, oh, wow, okay, this is pretty solid. You know, we can test you out in our new store on uh, in DC. We said, whoa <laughs> so like it worked you know what i mean like and i think that investing in that and understanding where you go like, even now as you launch you know and as you get larger you're now talking promotional plans and you know off invoices and when you're gonna have a buy one get one and all that stuff and like that's all very valuable because when you're small right and especially like you gotta think pre-covid the best way for a small brand to really grow was just to be out there and demo the heck out of your product be in the stores here there's a free sample. You like it. The bags are right there. Grab one right now. But with COVID, like you have to think differently about that stuff. You know, so how can you entice someone? You know, how do you get them to think about that? You know, how do you 
get on their radar a few times that by the time they actually see you on that grocery store shelf on sale, they go, oh, wow, these guys looked interesting. You know, I will try one. Was, was so, home- you know, it's this kind of evolution. And, I, you know, and, and deep down, I still like making snacks, man. Like, I'm, I'm here in the factory right now in the lunchroom. Uh, the camera face got the direction so you don't see everyone eating lunch in front of me. But, yeah, you know, I love being in the factory. I just like making snacks. And so I think, you know, it's that mix of understanding, passion, and, you know, understanding what your customers want, sloppy passion that, you know, at least keeps us here today. You got any new flavors uh, you're cooking up there you can tell us about? Churro. Churro's coming out next. I can tell you guys because I don't really care. I don't tell anybody at this point. What are they going to do? Fire me? <laughs> Little um, no, no. But yeah, Churro's coming out next. We're really excited about that. That should be coming out um, late April, early May. Uh, it's kind of our first foray into a sweet flavor. Um, you know, Snacklands, we've kind of taken the... With a lot of companies, you know, I, there, there's different ways you can take A lot of people focus on constantly innovating and making new and different products. You know, for us, we kind of look at innovation almost like the big chip brands do, the big snack brands do, where innovation could just be like a slightly smaller bag or like a larger bag, right? And we're not going to change really the base of the chip, but we've been really focused on like that snackling by itself with no season just tastes delicious. And it's healthy, you know, and it's good for you. Like it's basic stuff. It's simple ingredients. Like my two-year-old, my two-and-a-half-year-old knows what mushrooms, onions, and yucca are, right? Like yeah. the yucca is maybe a stretch, and that's because he's my son, but the mushrooms and onions, like, kids know that stuff right um but you know i think it's just that simple basic stuff but yeah so you know it's kind of a tangent on that but yeah well i think it's really interesting how you've always made your own products and you created your own factory um instead of having it made by a co-packer uh is that because you just wanted to have complete control over the quality and and how has your mindset changed as you've kind of gotten bigger there i think that the one thing that people will tell you uh once they've worked for snack loans is that control is not a word that i have in my vocabulary i really i'm all about just getting that getting shit done you know what i mean and so i'm really good at product development so i don't really have any control over like we hired a ceo kevin blesey is an amazing ceo you know he runs the company on a day-to-day so I can focus on product development and that product development kind of skill and what that did because all that skill was based off of this is all going back to your Kovac question by the way yep. but all that skill is based off of the fact that when we are making this there comes a point when everyone tells you like wow you guys are in a Whole Foods now you guys are in you know 60, 70 stores like, maybe you should start looking at a co-packer like you can't be hand making this anymore and we did and we looked around at everyone and I'm talking about everyone and the issue that we ran into was that nobody was using fresh vegetables to make their chips except for a potato chip right like if there was a beet puff or a you know a corn puff or a carrot whatever like that's all dehydrated powdered you know vegetable right and so we realized like okay so we're gonna either a have to change the recipe the formula which again we purposely made it delicious and so that was really not on my table. I wasn't trying to hit some like health standard. I just wanted to make it delicious, right? Um, and and I just and honestly, I didn't want to taste like everyone else because when you go to some of these facilities, you walk through the halls and you go, "Oh, I always wondered why these two companies tasted the same <laughs> because they're made in the same place." Oh my gosh, you know. And 
I think that, that that was to us. And I mean, we always go back at this, like, I buy products at a grocery store, the things that I buy, the snacks I like, I buy them because they're delicious. You know, it's food. You want food to be delicious. You want it to taste good, you know? And I think that sticking to our guns on that led me to end up inevitably like digging through and trying to figure out, well, how can I do this? It was me breaking down every single step of the process, you know? What at one point was like an eight and a half to like 12 hour long process, no joke. From like the beginning to the final bag of chips was like 12 hours. We've gotten it down to like, you know, two, three, right? And that took a lot of us breaking down every single step. And so like I kind of was inspired by that McDonald's uh, movie. You I know, watched so it. Like, show you how like they changed yep. the, the direction because everyone's like left-handed. Oh, this one person's left-handed. So they go, what if we put them here instead? <laughs> Look at how much more efficient our pickles are or whatever the hell it was, right? And I actually started thinking about that with every step, initially based it off of, you know, my coworkers and the people that I worked with and then really saying, okay, well, if we are taking all of these mushrooms and we're pureeing them up and then we're roasting them and then we're doing dum dum, well, what if I just bought a huge machine that, you know, would puree them simultaneously? So like fluidly, like what could do that? And I remember I was going through and thinking that, you know, I'm gonna use a blender, right? Or like a food processor to, to blend stuff up, okay? Like I was like, well, what do the companies that are using, like what other things are smooth, but before they're like mushed up, are like really, really hard and tough, you know, and fibrous. And I was like, holy crap, peanut butter. And so I started looking to like what machine, you know, makes peanut butter. What do peanut butter make? And like, I love like how it's made, right? So I watched like every peanut butter aspect I could to see how they're making peanut butter. And then I was like, oh man, I bet I could puree the crap out of these mushrooms and onions with a peanut butter machine. And now I don't have to stop, clear it out, you know, fill it up again, hit start stop clear it out you know and like taking care of those little steps and buying those machines and kind of going through those processes like no joke like i ended up going on alibaba right after i did all the research and kind of decided in my head what machines i needed and what machines i thought i wanted to do this and i reached out to a bunch of people that sold styles of those machines or had variations of those machines and were like hey can you guys customize it this way or what if i want is there a possibility that instead of this, I could add this? You know, is that even feasible? Like, do you guys do that? Could I add heat here instead of cold? Like, and I literally ask these people. I end up going to China for like two weeks, going to a bunch of factories, like just traveling on the train, going to all these factories, don't speak a word of Mandarin. All I can say is hello, beer, <laughs> and delicious. Um, ni hao, beijo, mei wei. Um, and yeah, and so I, like I just did it. And then finally, like I found this, this team that I worked with there and they, they were super into this. Like, I think they were, I think they were more or less just mind blown that this like young white dude, like came all the way out to the middle of like China, like by himself on a train was like, yo man, I just want to get some machines made. Can y'all help me? You know? And it, it's because I did the research and like people ask like, well, did you go there? Cause it was cheap. No, I went there cause it was the best. You know how I knew it was the best because the, the American company or the European company that I was looking at to buy their machines when I started doing the, dip, the, 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 the the digging work into it, you realize, holy crap, man, they're just buying it from this Chinese company and just assembling it here. Like, exactly. why am I buying this? They're like, no, let's find the people that are that actually are knowledgeable about the parts, you know? Like, they're actually framing the steel and making the actual components to it, not the people that are just buying the components and then assembling it, you know? And so when I went to them, we had 
100% more, 200% more custom, you know, customization like options there. Like I can literally talk to them and be like, hey, you know that machine that you that I that I saw there? Yeah. I need it exactly 14.2 inches, like 14.2 inches here, 13 point, you know, that feet this way. Like, and you can tell them to the exact, and I can get it custom made because they're making the components for the people that are making the machines mm-hmm. here, right? And so we end up forming this really great bond with this team there. And I mean, we, I go before COVID, you know, we were going back like every six to nine months to re up on stuff and you know talk to them. Like it was, it was, it's been a very positive and cool thing but i think part of that is why you know i'm now in development was because at some point you know all i knew was that yo man sylvia's gonna kill me if she has to continue making this by hand forever right <laughs> like what do i need to buy so like, sylvia will not kill me and i ended up like just going there and figuring it out and once we figured it out like now you come back and i talk with people and they go no honestly like there's no one that probably knows more about this machine than sammy because it's it's the customized Snackles machine. Like he built it from beginning to end. Like now I'll say Pedro definitely knows more about it than I do because that's like, you know, he's the boss now, but you know, I helped to conceive it and to bring it into the world. So, so I, I find it super interesting that you kind of gave up the, the CEO position to go into product development. Your, your title is now listed as chief snack bagger. Um, so was that a hard decision for you to make, or did you know that, uh, that was the right one? I, I, I'm not an athlete by any means, right? I never played sports growing up. I was like in theater. So all the like athletic references I have are based off of movies. And it always seems that in every sports movie, right? They're always giving it up for the team, right? <laughs> like there's always that one guy who's, a, who's, you know, who was the quarterback for two years, but this new guy comes on, he's just better. And he's going to take them and win state for them. And so he ends up going back and being his backup, you know, like, yeah, dude, like, that's what I felt like, like, who cares? Like, do you think the guy who like had who got sat on the bench because like a superstar came to their NBA team and they won like a ring is pissed off. Like, no, and he's like, dude, I'm still a champion. <laughs> like, and you know, that's what I look at. Like, what does the team need more? And at this point, like the team is like, yo, you know this, you're the best of park development. Like, like I was the cook. I was the, you know, I worked in, I worked in restaurants forever like i i get that like when i go home i do kitchen experiments for fun you know if you walk around my apartment now there's like you know aged kimchi from you know foraged vegetables from two years ago there's you know different kinds of vinegars from different like fruits and stuff that i've picked or that i've like whatever like it's i just like doing like that's my hobby and so for them to be like hey sammy can you help us develop a churro flavor we need these options you know and i go all right, dude, I'm on it, you know? <laughs> and it's cool because, A, I have a lot of an option. I have a really great team, team and people that we work with, like all of our sourcing people, like we love them. You know, they help us out a lot and they're, you know, very open. So I can hit them up and be like, hey, I've been reading about this and I was thinking about making the churro flavor, but with this instead of sugar, what are your thoughts? Are there any warning signs? Any things I should be worried about? You know, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you think it comes out? They'll come back to go, yo, Sammy, just so you know, that's got a lot of good press but we think it tastes like shit. You don't want it. And I was like, oh, dude, this is why I love you guys. Like, thank you. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, I can go back and I can test out more things, you know? And so half the time it's kind of us going back and forth collaboration. And the other half is just me with a, a ton of different seasonings. I mean, any spice you could imagine in the world, like I have, you're like, do you have ground ginger? And I was like, dude, I got ground ginger, gongal, and bangla. You know what I mean? Bangla. Like, 
I've got all the different varieties you can have. Like, like I've got different, you know, versions of like, it's just because we test out everything. So I can go to someone, I can be like, Hey, we now need to make 5,000 pounds of this seasoning. I figured out the recipe for like half a pound. Uh, can you guys now source all those ingredients, get them at a much cheaper price than me going down to, you know, the bodega or, you know, Patel brothers grocery here in town. Like, you know what I mean? Like, where can you, you guys can get it cheaper than me buying it from the grocery store. Right. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's work this out together. And so, it's this cool kind of collaborative process, you know, and as much as I was the first person, I always call myself employee number one, you know, I don't really like, I don't believe in the almighty founder, right? The, oh, I look at me, I did everything myself. Like, no, I was employee number one. And like Sylvia was employee number two, and, you know, Pedro was employee number four, John was employee number five, you know, and then Tess was like, you know, eight. And then Jerry was 10. Like, you know what I mean? Like we started going through like, you know, you've got, Irma and Camilla, you know, number six and nine or whatever. You know what I mean? Like people that have been there since day one with us that are still there. And like, no one thinks like, no one calls me the boss. You know what I mean? Like when it comes down to it, like if there's an issue, they talk to Pedro first and then Pedro will come ask me. He's like, oh, hey, man, I don't have the answer. Do you know what this is? I'm like, oh yeah, actually I do. That's from when I ordered this machine in China. We've never had to order this part again. I've got you, brother. You know what I mean? And so it's just this collaborative team effort. Like, A, I feel like, we all live way less stressful lives because no one feels like the brunt of the world is on their shoulder. You know what I mean? We all, we all meet, we all talk. Like no one complains. If you've got an email that comes in at 1130 at night, like no one's bitching. They're like, Oh man, I can't believe they wanted this. But like, all right, that sucks. We got it done. Cool. Like there's been times when we were like, it was a Friday night. I remember this was pre COVID. And so that's like, and we were all out. It's Friday night, you know, we're all having a good time in DC. And then I literally get a text from somebody like, dude, you're on Shark Tank. And I was like, what? And they re-aired us, but we didn't know they were re-airing us. Right. And nobody knew they were re-airing us. And so all of a sudden, like, yo, we have to like start sending stuff in for inventory, start checking, you know, make sure the website doesn't crash. Like there's a lot of things that need to happen when you know that that much traffic is coming. And so like, Dude, not a soul even question. We all just stopped what we were doing. I'm like, yo, guys, hold on. Sorry. And I literally walked out the bar, got my cell phone, called everybody, got everyone set up. They're like, all right, we got this. You know what I mean? Like, that's awesome. Like, a machine will show up. Like, we got a new belt on Friday, right? Thursday last week. I paid Joe and I had decided we we're going to come in Saturday to, like, assemble it. He was like, yeah, well, I was here Friday. We started to look at it and check it out. And honestly, dude, I... I got like 95% of it done. So we can just finish it on Monday. And I was like, dude, that's my dude. Like, yeah, like he just saw it. He saw some extra time in his day. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to wrap up and not leaving yet though. So, oh yeah, this seems pretty simple. <laughs> like, you know, and I think it's having people like that. And I think you get people like that by them knowing that you'll do the same, you know, on the exact opposite. You know what? It was on Friday of like Friday. We were running around, and Pedro runs in the office and goes, hey, I need you to do a favor for me, which usually, you know, I've got to go get onions or go get mushrooms or a tool. We need a separate tool for this. No, dude, he just needed me to go pick up his lunch. And I was like, got you, boss. And I got in the car, <laughs> went, picked up his lunch, you know, brought it back. I was like, yeah, dude, like, that's what we do. Like, we help each other, you know? Like, I don't think twice if I leave a FedEx package, I can text and be like, hey, man, go buy the FedEx. Can you just drop that off? I left it on the desk, you know? And I think that, you know, that, Everyone knows that we got each other's back. Like we're a family, you know. And part of that also is not just knowing that we have each other's back, but you know, as as we've talked about, like 
we put our mouth where you know we put our we, you know we put our money where our mouth is, right? So like we have an employee pool that Sylvia owns part of the company. Pager, all these people that I've mentioned so far are like they all own part of the company, you know. And so we're all in this together. And like I said, man, I'm just just here for the ride as employee number one. Never been the first employee everywhere. I definitely wasn't when I worked at Krispy Kreme. <laughs> I think that's a, a good way to look at it, and one that. Um... You know, your employees probably appreciate the fact that there's no real hierarchy there. So it's, it seems like you guys have like a really cool vibe. Um, and you can tell that basically just from even looking at your website. I mean, I look at so many different companies' websites and yours is uh, could be the most interesting one of, uh, you know, a snack brand. <laughs> so a- anyone out there, check out snacklins.com. If you leave the mouse uh, idle on the website, there's a little, a bunch of teeth that will come and just eat it up uh, and tell you uh, to go eat their snacks. So so where did that kind of idea come from? And the whole way your, your website set up is super interesting. How did that come about? So I think honestly, that's um, a like I'm a kind I'm kind of quirky. I'm kind of weird, right? And I think that the brand is kind of quirky. It's kind of weird because of that. Inherently, it's slightly that way. And I think that you know I'm not taking any credit for this because this is all our marketing team, like Tess, Jeremy, Olivia, you know, and even like Kevin, our CEO. Like they, like they spearheaded this. You know, they're the ones that really took that or like, okay, what do people want? You know. Like, even if you scroll down to the bottom of the website, like, there's a thing called Snack Man. And if you open it up, it's really like a mini Pac-Man game, but with, like, the Snacklin's mouth eating Snacklin's. I played it for 10 minutes, I think. It was it was way too funny. Dude, like, it's it's funny stuff like that. that like, it's pretty, like, they get it. You know what I mean? These people, like, I like them. Like, I don't question anything they do. When they come to me, they say, hey, man, we want to do churro. Like, I didn't say as product development. Like, well, you know, I, I personally think this black garlic flavor. Like, I know. Because marketing, like, I'm, my job is to make something delicious. Their job is to sell something delicious and to get people to know about something delicious, right? And so, like, you, when you have a solid team like that, you know, I can't take any of the credit for that. I I was privy to, you know, to be CC'd on some of the emails and be part of the process, but, you know, I'm not taking a, I'm not taking an iota of credit for that, you know, when it was that awesome team and, like, you know, and working with cool partners that get it, you know, and, and not being afraid to, to be outside. I mean, I remember like some advertising, like old advertising had like this guy has a resume longer than anything, like brands that we all grew up with, like characters that he made. And this guy trashed it. He was like, why would you have different mouths? Why would you have different mouths for the flavors? Like what? You're going to lose your brand. Like, <laughs> and he just thought it was the stupidest thing ever. But you know, cool. We got one of those that thought it was stupid. And then we get someone like you that says it's really cool. And so it all kind of evens out, you know, and I think that that's what we're doing. Like, you know, we're a snack brand. We're not, you know, we're not trying to take ourselves too seriously. Like when it comes down to it, like I'm not your healthcare HMO. Like I am a crunchy, salty chip, right? And, you know, we're trying to just, you know, fit that way into, you know, to really kind of accentuate on those things, you know? Yeah, I think you guys, uh, you guys have done a really good job kind of differentiating yourself in that space. Um, I want to get to a story I, I heard uh, you tell about how your baby was born uh, right before your meeting with Seven Eleven. Uh, can you can you kind of yeah, share with that, can you share what that experience was like? Well, first off, as any parent knows, uh, those due dates are, are 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 tormenting, right? <laughs> because you plan, you plan, you plan, and then all of a sudden, it could be four weeks early. It could be like three weeks late. You don't know. Um, for me, 
we had gotten this great opportunity to uh, go to the 7-Eleven headquarters and actually be part of the first uh, Sips and Snacks at Heart You Back um, Expo, in which it's kind of like a young, emerging brand kind of program that they have. They invite out, you know, a handful of companies. You got, like, all the 7-Eleven employees, all the execs. They got to go around and test out all these things. I remember they had, like, the founder of Whole Foods there to kind of chat with us, you know, just like a keynote speaker. They had all the different, you know, representatives from the executive team at 7-Eleven talking about, you know, what the process is, how that works out. And then, you know, you you left, and then they hit you back up, and they go, hey, congratulations. We'd like to launch you in a couple hundred stores and test you out, right? But it was one of those things that, like, we knew that when we got that first invite to come to the actual emerging brands thing like oh my gosh this is huge like everyone canceled their schedules nobody was doing anything like i'll make sure they're good my baby was supposed to be due like two weeks before that so i was like okay this is great you know my ex like my like my you know my baby's mother at the time at the time she was already showing a lot more so we're like dude i think this guy's gonna come early (laughs) like all the signs are pointing to early and he just held on for dear life and the next thing you know it's like i'm literally in the waiting room and I'm sitting there being like, yo, this baby's not going to come out. And my flight leaves in two hours. Um, I need to step out real quick. And I called the airline, and I was like, yo, they go, well, sorry, sir, you can't cancel. I was like, well, fine. Get me a flight for the earliest one tomorrow morning to Dallas, Texas, and we'll figure it out. That buys me at least the rest of today and tonight to like, oh, come on, baby. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, uh, and yeah. And uh, luckily, my son Dax was born, you know, at like 8 p.m. at night, you know, after I missed all my flights or everything. Luckily, my, my operations manager, John, had already flown out there um, to, like, be there just in case. You know, he was also going out there with me anyways, but, like, he was like, dude, I got this if you can't be. Like, don't worry. And I, no joke, like, baby was born. You know, everything is done. You're not really getting down until, like, you know, five, six hours later, right? And then that's when I realized, like, okay, well, I got to get to the airport and, like, free. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll catch you later. Kiss my baby, kiss my baby mama, and I'm just like, all right, guys, um, I'll, uh, I'll see you. <laughs> and then I just got on a flight to Dallas, and then I remember, like, I literally went to Dallas, had the meeting. Very next morning, I was back on their flight. I went straight back to the hospital, and I remember, like the like nurses be like, oh, wait, were you here? And I was like, no, I I, I I went to Texas. Now I'm back. I apologize. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, and I think it's it, it's. It's one of those decisions, you know, it's, I like to look at it just kind of, luckily it worked out, right? But it's one of those things that, you know, it's something that entrepreneurs have to deal with. Like, if you're an entrepreneur, like, you know, you will spend countless nights, you know, working. Like, I, like, my, like, some of my friends out there, like, their dad owned a box company. And they go, dude, we were in our pack and play, like, in our crib, in the middle of the factory floor as they made boxes throughout the night, just sleeping with box machines going in the background, like, that's what you do, you know, like that's what you do because, you know, I want, I want my child to have a better life than I had. And so part of that involved me having to make a little sacrifice in which I didn't get to spend, you know, got to spend those few hours. I missed hours like 12 through 36, but then I've been back ever since, you know what I mean? So I think, I think one day he'll appreciate that story, especially, you know, showing that you, you, you stuck it out for him. (laughs) Um, and I think he appreciates it now because he gets free snacks every time he walks into Papa's office. So. <laughs> exactly. It's it's crazy. It's great that you were able to kind of still make everything happy enough to uh, have an ultimatum and choose one or the other there. Um, but I think it's cool how much you kind of sacrificed. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your 
uh, appearance on Shark Tank. Obviously, it's a yeah. huge deal. Um, pretty much every entrepreneur's dream. Uh, but what was it like being in the tank by yourself there? Honestly, um, it was intimidating as shit. I don't even know how else to say it. Like, it's intimidating, man. Like, it is not easy to all of a sudden be in a room with, you know, what are easily known as some of America's most premier investors and entrepreneurs, right? Like, and to all of a sudden be in a room and be like, oh, gosh, I hope they like me. I hope I don't screw up. I don't know. You know, like, let's get this product out there. I'm trying to run for all the numbers and all the data and everything that you've been practicing for so long and everything that you've made your life for the past few years. Like, it all kind of boils down to this moment, you know? And like, I, like I've told you before, like, it's extremely humbling slash awesome, right? At the same time, right? to know that I got to do it. Like that is an entrepreneur's dream. Like when you talk about, you know, American entrepreneurs, like at some point, if you're a business owner, someone's going to tell you, Hey man, you should get on Shark Tank. Yeah. Right. And it's just one of those things that, you know, we heard it forever, you know, and, and we applied, you know, we applied years before we actually got on and we didn't get anywhere, you know? And I think that just that, you know, that resilience and going back and trying again and, you know, and, we luckily came out of it, you know, yes, I was scared. Luckily we came out of it in one piece and we came out with a deal with Mark, you know, and ever since then, like Mark's been, you know, an, an invaluable asset to the company. Like he's been so amazing, but you know, he responds to our emails. We do weekly updates with him. We talk to his team on the regular. We're always updating each other. Oh, Hey guys, we got this opportunity with this grocery chain. You should check it out. Can I get this, this, this and send samples here? Like that's awesome. You know, most investors aren't doing that, especially not people that are, Mark Cuban, you know what I mean? Like, like that's awesome to me. Um, you know, the fact that we'll be randomly like, "Hey guys, looks like I got a huge push. What happened?" You know, Mark just gave us a shout out in some random interview. You know, like that's that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, our other investors are the same way. Like, oh hey guys, um, so we know so and so, and they actually said that there's a new buyer here. We should send your product there because I think we have a really good chance of getting by with a new buyer. But I was like, that's awesome. Like. These investors, the people that we brought on, have really, you know, it's not just a Shark Tank investor, but it's all of them. They've been a lot more hands-on than I think your typical investor um, and a lot more problem-solving as opposed to coming in and saying, hey, where's my money? They go, hey, what can I help you figure out this week? What, what problems can I help you solve? You know, like that has been invaluable. And I think that Mark, you know, he's definitely he's the epitome of that. That's awesome. And I mean, he's a, he's a personal hero of mine. Uh, Mark Mark Cuban. So it's really cool that he's actually that involved. Um, what did that process actually look like? I hear a lot of the deals fall through after they do their due diligence. Yours obviously didn't, but what did that kind of look like? Like from you know what we all saw on the show to um, you know what does that next couple of months that relationship look like? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know I think everyone knows just how TV works in general. So mm -hmm. clearly they're going to do a lot of editing. You know, they're kind of cutting it up here and there to make it make sense to kind of make the story flow a little bit better because once you're done with your pitch, you know, then it's just kind of a rapid fire questions and you're talking to all the sharks at one time. People also, like, I don't know why they in their head assume that you're just going to, like, have lunch with, like, Barbara Corcoran and then, like, go out there and, like, pitch with her and be like, no, dude, <laughs> you haven't seen anybody. You literally walk out there and that's the first time you've ever seen any of the sharks outside of your tv screen and they're like right there you know just staring you down and you're like 
oh, wow, okay. <laughs> um, I will say a lot of people, and I've heard this from a lot of people too, like, kind of black out, man. Like, there's so much adrenaline, there's so much going on that you kind of get into this, you know, it's almost like, a, like, I've heard it's almost close to like a runner's high, where you're just, you're running, 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 and then finally, like, you're running, you just kind of get this, like, euphoric bliss, the next thing you know, you just ran, like, five miles, and you had no idea how you did it. Like, that's kind of the thing, where it's almost like, I just kind of hit this, like, hypnotic, you know, like, oh, man, this is, like, oh, this is going, I just, like, almost blacked out, and then, next thing you know, you know, Mark was shaking my hand and giving me a hug and grabbing snack ones from off the panel, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> you know, and I just kind of walked out. Um, as far as due diligence, like, yeah, I mean, just like any investor, just like any investment, you know, uh, they will do their due diligence, you know, and I think that it's here. It's not bad for people to want to sell themselves and to make themselves look good. We all do it. I mean, look at any of our Instagram or Facebook profiles, right? We all do it personally, we all do it professionally, but I think it's almost like just living up to that hype, you know? And so I look at investment, like I look at like investors, almost like I look at dating on Tinder. Like if I had this crazy profile and they show up and I'm like, they're like, wait, why are there Lamborghinis and mansions? Like, dude, you drive a Fiat and you live in a studio in DC and you like own a snack cup. I go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like she's clearly not going to be into that. She's not going to be around because I was deceitful. It has nothing to do with her, you know, wanting to certain life. I was like, no, you were deceitful. You know what I mean? Like, I would have been fine had you just told me, like, yo, you're a young entrepreneur who has a small place because you're hustling. Like, no one's going to hate all that grind, but you but you lie. And I think that it's that deceit that really probably uh, affects it more than anything. And just, you know, and it's just that, and it's not really deceit as much as just people stretching their, their thing. Um, but yeah, due diligence will happen. People do lose their deals. Um, you know, deals are adjusted, but, you know, I don't really, I can't really attest to what happened to anybody else. I really don't know uh, outside of a couple of my friends, but. Yeah, it happens. We got it though. So boom, chocolate. <laughs> and that's all that matters. And, and so, yeah. so has so your this is uh was two years ago. Is that correct? When you actually uh got the deal done, and he still meets. Oh yeah, like a, a year and a half. Yeah, year and a half, and he still meets with you regularly, Mark Cuban. Uh, like him personally, not every week. Every single every week, week, we email Mark. Like I email his I email his personal email every week. That's so and, cool. Yeah. And I mean, you can tell like he's, you know, it's great. You know, we email his team and, you know, we'll get, I mean, it's also one of those things like with our other investors, like no news is good news, right? Like if there's a, like they clearly have looked at it. We're a priority for everyone. So they're going to look at it. They're going to check it over. If everything looks cool, if they don't feel like they can offer anything, they go, all right, great guys. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get an update next week. Thank you. You know what I mean? And so other times it's more in depth and it's like rapid fire, like emails back and forth between us and, you know, Mark or us and, the other investors about oh, okay, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, other than that, we kind of go into no news is good news. Like, it's kind of how we, kind of how we talk about the culture of the company. You know, we, we're that way. Like, our production team, like, they do their thing and they know what it's expected of them and they, you know, take care of it. I, you know, in charge of product development, so people go, all right, Sammy, here's your task. Here's your job. You do your own thing. You take care of it. Like, you know, and I think that that's it. We've all kind of built this trust that no one, like, we've never lied to each other, so there's no point in not trusting each other yet, right? And, and what, did the, what did that look like for the company, like, uh, in terms of uh, boost right after Shark Tank? What did it look like, like, post-airing? So we had zero online presence except for Thrive Market um, okay. before this airing. We ended up, like, you know, I want to say we got that 
launched and up like two weeks before, three weeks before the airing, like maybe like a month before the airing. Like it wasn't that like It was more or less like we had taped. We knew the season started on this day. And we we're like, all right, guys, we should probably get just in case, like just in case we're in that first couple weeks, you know, we should get this up. <laughs> and we ended up getting up before like the premiere. Um, but yeah, kind of, you know, it was, it, so I guess our numbers, you can't really compare numbers per se, but I mean, we sold a crap ton of product, right? You know, it's still to this day is going to be our number one sales day of all time, you know, online, even though we were in our infancy, right? Like, right. And it's great. And I mean, and, and here's what it also does, what people don't realize is it's, it almost like legitimizes you in a lot of customers' eyes and also buyer's eyes. So they go, oh, okay, well, this isn't just Joe Schmo coming up off the street, right? Giving me a, you know, some bag and saying, Hey man, we make these, you should try them. They're great. Like, Oh wow. He's a career of invented by, you know, by Sony pictures. He's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's been invented by Sony entertainment. He's cool. Like he must be fine. Um, but I mean, you can also just look at the map and see, you know, where e-commerce was being shipped to where it was going. And then where it ended up shortly after. I mean, if you had, you know, white was nothing and black was, you know, there was a lot more black on that map after that airing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot more, like, saturated with that than after the airing. But it was great, you know, and it's still to this day, like, it's, you know, it's awesome. We, I think one of the coolest parts about it that they really don't talk about a lot is just, like, you're now kind of unofficially connected with all these entrepreneurs, you know, and in a sense that... In the sense that, you know, you could, um, I can hit up anybody. I can be like, like here, Michael Pan from Pan's Mushroom Jerky, also a Mark Cuban company. Like, yep. I saw his episode. I was like, bro, I literally just like cold emailed him, right? Bro, what's up? That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Let the chat. Let's talk. And like, dude, him and I keep in touch and like offer ideas because we're buying mushrooms, right? Like, yep. I remember before I aired, a couple of the people that are based in DC, like, straight up, like, email like cold email like went to the contact form on the website was like hey i'm so and so i was on shark tank season three would love to chat with sammy and kind of give him you know any advice if you ever need something i was like dude that's awesome and like i hit up all of them you know and i still keep in contact with all of them and like the guys that that taped around the same time as me that i met up with at the hotel lobby or that we talked to like yo dude slate chocolate milk is still crushing it you know what i mean and like those are my boys you know and so there's like this there's like this kind of unofficial official family that you kind of get once you've been on the show. And I think that's, you know, a huge value asset that, you know, people don't really think, you know, they're always thinking about the deal and, and all the stories you're going to get afterwards. But like, dude, the community that you build and like the, the answers that I've been able to reach out to them and get answered without having to either do it the incorrect way or go at it blind is totally worth it. That's super cool to hear that you guys are all actually uh, connected still. Um, I think it's all about the community and and anyone who can even get on Shark Tank. I think there's something like 50,000 people that apply each year. You know, they're probably a pretty legitimate company. Um, So I want to get back to like current time. Um, Obviously, especially with the type of business that you're in, uh, super difficult to manage over the pandemic with everything happening how how has covid uh impacted snacklands and how have you been able to kind of adjust to it i think what um snacklands did really well um with covid was that we jumped on it quickly 
Um, you know, I think also what helped is that we're in food manufacturing. So a lot of the yep. things that they were expecting or that they were asking from you, we were already doing just minus the face masks, right? And <laughs> so we were already like, you know, we already wash hands like crazy around here. We already had a ton of disinfectant everywhere. We already had a ton of hand sanitizer everywhere. You know, we already, because these people are separated on the machines, like we already had them separated by over six feet anyways because of their place on the production lines. Like we didn't have to worry about it. Like we had to adjust one spot just to make sure they weren't there. Um, now the one thing we did do was, you know, we reached out to our team and we said, all right, what are you concerned about? Uh, what's there? You know, we definitely added in hazard pay like a lot of people did, you know, but it wasn't really hazard pay as much as we just said, once it kind of hit like month three, we go, all right, everybody, boom, we're giving you like the pay raise that you would have got anyways next year. We're just going to give it to you now. You know what I mean? Like everyone's getting that dollar up. Like, Let's keep this going. You guys are great. What else can we do? Another thing that we did, which I think was very valuable in retaining people, because I think a lot of it, which hit a lot of companies, was it wasn't just they lost their, it wasn't just them trying to retain their customers. They also were trying to retain their employees because their employees now, life got a lot more difficult, right? And so if you were using public transportation, which, you know, in D.C., everybody does, Right. If you were using the metro or the bus, like all of a sudden that thirty-five minute bus ride, because they cut the bus schedules in half, now took an hour and fifteen minutes. You know, the metro wasn't coming as frequently, and so now people were taking an hour and a half to get to work. You know, during those first couple weeks of when you know they had shut down everything, but yet if you were you know in food manufacturing, you were still allowed to go to work in Maryland, and so we were still open, and so we thought like, what can we do? And like, no joke, like. We have people that live near those employees. They have cars. We said, hey, guys, what if we just paid you to pick your coworkers up and then we paid you to drop them off <laughs> every day and we'll just, like, add that onto your thing? And when it comes down to it, like, yeah, they go, yeah, without your smartphone. I'm like, yeah, dude, it's, how else are they going to come, man? There aren't any, like, there's no transportation. What's more expensive to me, like, getting someone safe to work every day or having them risk their health and then having to shut down the factory for months on end, having people get sick, possibly die. Like, it didn't make any sense, any of the possible, like, monetary concerns. And I was like, dude, I'll pay an Uber to drive them in every day. You know what I mean? Like, their health is worth so much. And I think that just doing something as simple as, like, getting them a safe ride into work every day, you know, was super important to us getting through this COVID bump. Like, yeah, you know, we sold snacks. And we sold snacks online, you know, and we sold snacks in grocery stores. So it's not like snacking in any way, you know, was hit very hard by COVID, but small businesses were, yep. you know, and we're still a small business. But I think that what we did was we put ourselves in a situation that because we were so small, we still didn't look at it from, from an angle up here. We were looking at it from right here. And we said, all right, what's your biggest concern? You know that the factory is healthy and safe because you're being six feet away from each other and you're doing this. You know, your family is safe because, you know, your kids are going to school at home and, you know, and no one's really coming in and out. But you're concerned about the way that you go from your home to work. Okay, we can help make that safe as well, you know. Were you and it wasn't it was not revolutionary. It's not crazy, but it worked. Did you guys have to transition to more of an online model? Or did that not really impact kind of uh, the your brick and mortar side of things? I mean, it, 
it did. It did impact brick and mortar. I mean, brick and mortar numbers were all over the place. I mean, like places like Manhattan are a ghost town, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so those numbers hit. You know, and a lot of the growth that we were focused on in Manhattan kind of took a hit. A lot of the growth in like downtown DC and like in the metropolitan areas, yeah, it took a hit. But you know, I think that yes, overall, it probably you know maybe it delayed like a lot of the retailer launches because as you know, as you may not know or know, retailers they accept you into a store, but you're not really going to be on that shelf for probably nine months to six months, you know, six to nine months. And so that kind of delayed everything because no one really knew what was coming next for the groceries, uh, for the grocery stores. But, you know, yeah, I think it, luckily, you know, I don't know. I look at myself and just like how I bought a bag of flour off of line, you know what I mean? Because I couldn't find it at my local grocery store. Like someone bought snack was offline if they couldn't find it at their local grocery store, if they couldn't get to the store, you know what I mean? And so I feel mm-hmm. like it, it balanced itself out, you know, like the one thing that I really, you know, that really took a hit is like my neighborhood bar that I would go to and have my beer in after work. Right. Like yep. that place took a hit. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't just sit there and be like, well, let me get this beer delivered from Jeff Bezos. You know, like I can't do that. Right. And so it was like, like I'm not there really for the beer as much as I am for like the, the cheers moment you know what i mean and like that moment of just like ah hanging out oh look at there's norm the mailman there's you know <laughs> da, da, da. like that's really what i like about it and like that's what i probably missed the most and what i you know and i think was probably affected the most and so i would consider snack as extremely lucky because you know our community still found a way to engage and to be part of the community um just by going online temporarily Makes sense. Um, so my last question here about Snacklands, um, you know, where do you envision the future of Snacklands going? What does that look like? Uh, obviously, so much is unpredictable here for you, but ideally one year, five year, 10 year timeline for uh, for Snacklands in the future. Man, I don't know, dude. I, like, I told you my timeline earlier. I'm like churro. That's it. Like I'm focused <laughs> on churro right now that comes out in like a couple months and you know i think i'll go along i think what yes you know i could probably dig up you know projections and i could go through and chat with kevin our ceo and i know i know what those projections are but i find that i i use this back in my radio days and i found to be very successful that the least i know about what people think about me the better i am at just doing my job right and so in all realities if I was so worried about, you know, man, how am I going to make X money? Like, not, not about making like snack ones, right? but how am I, oh, we want to be in this many more stores or we've got to launch with this chain next year. Like, okay. Like, no, dude, my job was always just to make more snacks. Like, you know, and, and I'm good at that. And that's like what I do is I focus on my job. It's like, you know, if I was a, if I was a big tall guy on the basketball court, my job is to rebound. Dude, I'm going to focus on rebounding. You know, and then every once in a while I'll block a shot, and if I get an opportunity, I'll make a, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll dunk it, you know, I'll score. But my job is to block. Like I'm here to block and rebound. Like, dude, I'm down with that, you know. And so I just focus on becoming like the best, you know, rebounder I can be, and you know, and really just growing that and seeing like, all right, well, what can I do to make snack better? How can I do this? What can I do for this? Like X, Y, and Z. And so yeah, so like I don't know, you know, I would love to one day be able to look back at Snacklin's life and be able to be like, wow, man, we were the, we were the sun chips of, you know, 
the 2020s, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a good reference, but like, you know, that'd be awesome. But you know, right now I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm honored. Like I'm, I'm happy. We, we've got a, we've got an awesome team here and you know, it's crazy to me knowing that this bar bet is now paying all of our bills. And I just, I just don't want this dream to end, I guess. Well, so. I hope it doesn't too. And it looks like you're on a good path. And I like uh, the way you think of just kind of carving out your own role and sticking to that. Uh, so I want to get to what we call the quick fire round. So these are questions not related to Snacklands. Uh, ideally, if you can answer 30 seconds or less um, for these questions, that would be great. So do you have any morning rituals that you do to kickstart your day? I do not. I don't sleep that much to begin with uh, because of my radio show days. I was waking up at 3.30 a.m. every day. So sleep. What is that? <laughs> Approximate wake up time. Uh, six thirty. Six thirty. Who's no alarm though? I'm a no alarm guy, by the way. No alarm ever. Love that. I could never. Um, whose content do you listen to, uh, slash watch, slash read the most? Uh, this is gonna make me sound super basic, but it's gonna be the BBC Global News Hour because I'm a nerd. And uh, stuff you should know because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and do you yeah, have a favorite? I love those. Do you have a favorite book of all time? Um, Perks of Being a Wallflower. I know that's like a crazy. You know that book? It's like Perfect. super '90s MTV yep. generation. But that book really resonated with me when I was younger. And I read it as an adult, and like it doesn't resonate as much, but like it holds like this deep meaning to me. That it's still gonna be my favorite book of all time. What is your favorite place you've ever been to? Ooh, Penang, Malaysia. Okay, if you like food and you think that you're a foodie, Penang, Malaysia is the only place that you need to go. Cancel everything off of your list. That's look, that's that's where I want to be in 10 years. I want to have staff to be big enough that I can live in Penang, Malaysia. Boom. Maybe bring them to the Malaysia market. Um, that's the... Malaysian Doritos are the best Doritos you'll ever have. Really? Just throw that out there. Interesting. Um, what is your favorite purchase of $100 or less? Can't be something big. Can't be a house or a car. Man, um, my favorite purchase of $100 or less, honestly, I'm a big thermometer geek because like, I cook and stuff all the time. And so I have like, my backpacks over there, but like, I buy thermometers. And like the ones that just like, boom, pop out probe thermometers or like boom the gun ones where like infrared check stuff like i buy those and i love my thermometers and so that's like my big like it's like my i think that they go why do you need 20 thermometers it's like it's my thing okay i love thermometers <laughs> do you have a specific one you want to plug and you throw no no not really just because yeah, i just like them all you know, i like the probe ones so. so what is your favorite cpg brand that isn't snack ones uh, I'm going to say Doritos and really it's Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is my favorite brand of all time. Um, I love Mountain Dew. I drink a ton of Mountain Dew still to this day. Um, it's my Iowa roots really showing through. Um, and there's just something about it like that. It resonated with me like, at a young age and like it resonates with me now. And like, I get it's kind of campy and cheesy and like, it's almost ironic and hipster to be in the Mountain Dew at this age. But like, I generally like Mountain Dew. I mean, it's delicious, and it gives you a boost. So <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I love it. Uh, my last question for you here is, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to build their own influence 
whether that is in the business or personally as like an influencer? I think that the best way to build influence is to not claim that you're an influencer, right? Like the second you go out to go, I want to be a food influencer. Be like, all right, you want to know how to be a food influencer? Get in the damn kitchen, start working and cook and start making some weird stuff so that you start influencing <laughs> the people around you. You know what I mean? Like I joke about food influencers and like we, like I think that what they're doing now, it's great. They're disrupting the advertising game more than anything. But it's not, I mean, it's influencing, yes, but it's advertising more. You know what I mean? Definitely. And I think about influence more or less like as that person that started wearing that jacket before you ever saw the ad for it, you know, and you knew that jacket was cool in middle school. You go, man, that jacket is super cool. And it was just Trevor and Trevor had cool parents and Trevor was just cool. And he had that jacket. And then like you finally saw the ad or like someone showed you the ad like, dude, no, he was the influencer but you bought it because of the ad, you know what I mean? So I think they're both equal, but like I would like get in there, like get in there. The people that I follow that influence what I do do not have millions of followers on Instagram. But they go out and actually do something interesting. Yeah, they have like a hundred, you know what I mean? But yep. they're doing something so interesting, so unique and so niche that like that's the only place you can find it is from them, you know what I mean? Like that's how you become an influencer. Like, like you, like what you've done. Travel to China for two weeks, (laughs) buy a bunch of machines, like get into it. Just do crazy stuff. I love it. Well, I appreciate you taking, uh, taking the time to speak with me. And I think you have a really great story, um, that a lot of people can learn from. And I'm excited, uh, to continue to follow your journey here. Yeah, no. And Hey, also just, you know, uh, when this airs, you guys go to snappers.com, um, type in the word influencer. And uh, we'll get you some. Uh, we'll get you a sweet little discount on it. I don't know what it is yet because I just thought about this live. But the <laughs> heater will be influencer, and it'll be a discount of some sort, if not free shipping or something awesome like that. Okay, it'll be something worth it. I promise. All right. Awesome. I love that. And that was hunting influence. To find out more about Influence Hunter and how we source micro and nano influencers to exponentially grow the reach of your brand, visit influencehunter.com. And then make sure to search for Hunting Influence in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Influence Hunter, thanks for listening.